Hello, this is Jesse Weiler for Honoramus Bulletin. In this episode, we speak with Roland Millar, who recently wrote an article titled Down in Adoration Falling, Our Grateful Response to the Eucharist. Roland serves as Vice President for Curriculum and Program Director of Clergy Initiatives for the St. John Paul II Foundation in Houston, Texas. He earned a doctorate in sacred theology from the Liturgical Institute at the University of St. Mary the Lake and is author of the book, A Living Sacrifice, Liturgy and Eschatology in Joseph Ratzinger. So without further ado, another Adoramus interview. Roland, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Jesse. How are you? I'm doing great. It's uh, It's been a while, but, you know, we had you on this show a while back, and you have this you have this new article for Adoramus called uh, Down in Adoration Falling, Our Grateful Response to the Eucharist. And this came out in the September issue of Adoramus, and it's just amazing. And uh, my, my first question is, what was the what was the idea and the thought behind writing this? Yeah, so, I, you know, it, it was going around in uh, kind of the media about this e-commentary relating to the Eucharistic Revival. You know, the, there's been a lot of, in light of that Eucharistic Revival, a lot of promotion of Eucharistic adoration and processions and piety and devotion. Yeah. And the things I kept hearing were, you know, Eucharistic adoration was uh, something that was passive. Uh, and then the other thing I kept uh, also, I heard was that somehow a, a representation of, you know, pre-Vatican II piety, uh, you know, and being a, you know, it's born 19, full disclosure, 1980, right? So very much rooted in the uh, post-conciliar era, um, you know, I, I found, you know, both these comments uh, interesting uh, because it's very much, you know, uh, formed and, and shaped me and really, you know, a lot of people I, who I know, right? Um, so that that really was kind of the the impetus, right, to to write the article and to kind of and to really bolster the support for that uh, in the intentional way the Eucharistic revival. One of the things I think it could be tempting for um, for us to do is to understand liturgy and adoration as mutually exclusive rather than mutually enriching, and that they are two separate things. You you either go to mass or you go to adoration. And there's this tie between them, but essentially it's one or the other. And uh, I'm I'm just wondering your reaction to that. Uh, and in in this article, you kind of talk about how integrated they are and how one and unified they are. So actually, I um, it was in May of, of last year. I I gave a retreat to a group of deacons and wives there, sites in Portland and uh, Mount Angel Abbey. And there I, I purchased a book written by the abbot, Abbot Jeremy Driscoll. And you know, it was a book, um, actually, the title of the book escapes me, but there was a, a chapter on, on Eucharistic adoration. And the line that, that, that's, that struck me was he said, it's not possible to love Christ without adoring him. And so the idea of this disconnect, somehow separating Eucharistic adoration or devotion to or the Eucharist, outside mass from the liturgy just didn't this doesn't make sense i mean we these things go go hand in hand and so i would say that you know adoration you know has this uh, you know i mean sitting and basking in the presence of the lord instead of being something passive right it, it actually you know helps to prolong uh, you know the the grace that that we received in in holy communion from the liturgy and really prepare us for for the next liturgy uh, in fact, I've 
I've yet to meet somebody who goes to Eucharistic adoration, you know, once a week or with regularity, who skips mass. I mean, I, you know, if those people exist, I'd, I'd, I'd like to, I'd like to meet them because I, I haven't met them yet. But that's constantly the charge. The charge, the claim is, look, you know, the problem with promoting all this Eucharistic piety, this Eucharistic adoration, is that, is that it will obscure the Eucharist uh, primary purpose, which. You know, is to be received in communion, right? It will obscure the purpose of the mass, but I, I find you know the opposite. Okay. What about this um, this other idea that uh, adoration is paraliturgical, right? You have exposition and, and reposition, and there are liturgical elements. But if you just go in, into a chapel that has you know um, the Blessed Sacrament, immediately there is a devotion component, an individual, personal, emotive uh, component to that. How do we navigate that as, like you said, active and liturgical? Yeah, I, I mean, I think there certainly has to be this, you know, the catechesis that, look, the recognition of the gift of the real presence is derived from, you know, the, the sacred liturgy. Uh, I mean, it doesn't, I mean, the Eucharist didn't just, you know, magically appear in the tabernacle, right, or you know, exposed in in the monstrance. I mean, you know, our Lord's real presence came from from somewhere. Um, and so, well, yes, right. I mean, there certainly is something that's very individualistic, right? I mean, you have individuals who, you know, may have the practice of making a visit to, to the chapel, whether it's during the day, you know, with our Lord in the tabernacle, or our our Lord exposed in in the monstrance. Uh, you know, but nevertheless, right? I mean, these. You know, individuals. I mean, they recognize that you know the Eucharist, the gift of the Eucharist, came from from somewhere. And so, even though we might, you know, say technically, right, and Eucharistic adoration is paraliturgical, I mean that that Eucharistic presence, you know, wouldn't exist were it not from from the liturgy. And frankly, the act of adoration, you know, began in the liturgy. I mean, there are parts, you know, of the liturgy where we're called explicitly to adore Christ, right? Behold the Lamb of God and the priest holding up, you know, the, the sacred hosts for uh, for the faithful's adoration, right? We're, we're called explicitly to, you know, adore, adore our Lord and, and the Blessed Sacrament at, at that moment. So really, Eucharistic adoration is almost kind of suspending that that moment uh, or prolonging it for, uh, for our benefit. And, you know, when when you love someone, I mean, isn't that you know naturally, logically, what you want to do? You want to abide in in the presence of the other, right? You want to you want to be with them. Uh, it, you know, I, I think if we want to remedy this practice of you know treating the Eucharist like a vitamin, right? It's just I have no relationship. I just pop the pill and, and move on. I mean, I, I think you know Eucharistic adoration helps to overcome that um, that passivity, right? With 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 the proper formation. What was behind or what is behind, you know, the, the more recent Pope's, you know, like pretty much explicit promotion of Eucharistic adoration? Because uh, it, it's obviously nothing new. I mean, this has been something that's been done in the church, but we see a revival of it, like you said, uh, even post-Vatican II. That's interesting. I mean, that, when we talk about Eucharistic revival, obviously, as it, as it pertains to the Church of the United States, then in, in the course of the article, I talk about this papal Eucharistic revival, right? beginning with uh, St. Paul the Sixth encyclical Mysterium Fidei, the Mystery of Faith, and he yeah, it just speaks of 
you know, the Eucharist as you know, our Eucharistic adoration during the day is, is a proof of our gratitude, a pledge of our love, uh, really kind of rendering uh, yeah, to Christ the, the honor he deserves. And it's uh, and what's interesting is that he situates it um, you know, in the context uh, of the council in, in this sense, right, that, that Vatican II was supposed to bring about this renewal um, you know, liturgical renewal, and one of the fruits of that liturgical renewal, that, uh, you know, restoration would be a, a wave of Eucharistic devotion. And so he wanted to make that explicit, because, but frankly, uh, you know, well, you know, maybe people have, I'm sure people undoubtedly have varying opinions about why this is the case, right? But it, it doesn't happen, right? You don't have this, you know, Eucharistic flourishing uh, you know, following the that council, but nevertheless, right? Paul the sixth in Mysterium Fide right, lays it out explicitly that this is, you know, one one of the goals, right? I mean, devotion and its varying iterations. One of the things I I find really fascinating is, you know, closer to the end of the article, you talk about Eucharistic adoration as being an as having an inherent link to mission, evangelization, and charity. And again, this goes into this. Um, maybe that's what we would perceive as active, and then, you know, in adoration as being the passive thing. But this also strikes a chord with, you know, the liturgical movement and, and social regeneration and that um, you you have this source, but then you also have to have this outlet or this this way that the gospel continues uh, beyond, uh, beyond mass, beyond adoration. Can you tell me a little bit about Eucharist uh, and the link to mission, evangelization, and charity? Yeah, I mean, we think you know, the Gospel of Luke, right? Well, the two sisters, Martha and Mary, you know, Martha is busy serving the Lord, right? Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. And Martha is clearly frustrated, right? She's doing all this stuff. She's actively working. Uh, and then Jesus, recognizing her frustration, says, look, your sister Mary has chosen the best part or better part to be the little in the translation. And that's it, right? I mean, you know, contemplation, you know, that time spent basking the presence of the Lord, you know, really is, you know, it's the solely possible. It gives rise to to mission. Uh, and you see this in the lives of the missionaries of the poor uh, or the missionaries of charity. They have each and every day a period of Eucharistic adoration. I mean, intentionally, right? And I, I would say that there's nothing passive about it. It is the kind of the, the recharging for them. I mean, it, it's a, once in a car, conversation with Cardinal, um, the future Cardinal Comastri, and Teresa of Calcutta listened to, you know, the prayer life, the devotion uh, of the young then you know, Father Comastri, and then she made the comment, right, that's not enough, right? You need to do more, otherwise you're, you're, you'll be too poor to serve the poor. And that's really at the, you know, at the ground floor what, gives rise to to mission in fact the whole eucharistic revival people you know have this sense that it's just going to the climax the culmination is this eucharistic congress uh, indianapolis but that's actually not it right there's actually more after that period focus explicitly on on the relationship between eucharist and and mission right and so the i mean it's a reminder to us that you know the the eucharist is directed towards the other i mean we can't I mean, Deus Caritas uh, asked number 14 by Pope Benedict. I mean, he says that a love that a Eucharist is, paraphrasing here, intrinsically fragmented if it does not result into a concrete expression 
of a charity of, of love for neighbor, right? In other words, the you know Eucharistic adoration, you know this uh, our time with our our Lord and uh, in, in in blessed sacrament should it, it gives us the grace to become Eucharist for others. Uh, in fact, that's why explicitly, you know, Pope Benedict XVI allowed for uh, these different uh, endings, you know, at the end of Mass, right? Instead of you don't just have to simply say, you know, the Mass is ended, thanks be to God, but uh, you know the the alternative one of the alternative endings is is the notion that we're we're sent for right I mean you know in other words we're we're sent on on mission uh, but we can't go on mission until we first entered into the presence and, and communion with with Christ I mean I think constantly of that you know farmer who's asked by Saint John Vianney you know, what do you what do you do here at the end of each day right and he's sitting before the Lord of the Blessed Sacrament and the farmer says I. I look at him and, and he looks at me. Uh, and we look at the lives of the saints. You look at the Blessed Peter Giorgio Prasati, uh, St. Teresa of Calcutta, St. Vincent de Paul, or any so called active saint, uh, you know, or a saint engaged in, in acts of charity. I mean, first and foremost, they spend, you know, a lot of time in the presence of the Eucharist, the sacrament of charity, the sacrament of Peritone. So the, the culmination of this, which which is really great, is it's not just that, you know, you you actively participate and, and that you're in Christ's presence and you abide in his love. It's not even just that afterwards you go and and, and evangelize and be charitable. It's actually the culmination of, is being transformed. And so this is this is the goal, the 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 highest goal possible but it's the goal of all of us can you so can you talk about how all of the, everything that we've talked about leads to that transformation and sanctification hey, you know in our um our local parish at saint Teresa's uh, in, in sugarland and they have a perpetual scatteration chip seven days uh, a week 24 hours a day and i'm always amazed especially during the day even evenings right there's you know i don't know five ten Plus people in in the chapel, and they're you know engage in different postures. Some people are sitting, some people are prostrated, some people are kneeling, some people are praying the rosary, some are reading scripture, some other form of spiritual reading. Others are just simply you know basking in the presence of the Lord. But you can't help but think of you know our Lord on Mount Tabor and the Transfiguration and the words of Saint Peter. Right, how good it is for us. To be here, right? I mean, you, you know, Eucharistic adoration is a reminder of that that ultimate culmination, right? That of our, you know, basking in the presence of the Lord, not just veiled, but you know, as we do in, in the Eucharist, but but unveiled. Uh, in fact, in one of the uh, accounts of the Transfiguration, uh, you know, you have Moses and Elijah obviously appear on on either side of Jesus. Saint Peter asks, you know, what did you discuss and me, I forget if it's St. Mark's or St. Luke's account. I mean, but our Lord says he spoke about his exodus. Uh, and really that is the, you know, one of the, the means by which we reach that, that culmination, our own exodus, our own journey from the slavery of sin into the freedom of Christ, which comes with, with grace, the gift of, of divinization. Um, and so for people who would, you know, call it, Eucharistic adoration, passive. Uh, you know, I, I think we're uh, at the end of the day, right? We're you know, overlooking this, you know, great and fruitful development, right? Which has 
I mean, you know, it doesn't lead people away from from Christ and charity for their neighbor, but rather roots them more deeply in it. Uh, that is something I'm going to be thinking about a lot, the Exodus, because even after, you know, the account of Moses and the Red Sea, there's still a purgation um, from from the effects of the, you know, the slavery of even the Israelites to to the gods and the golden calf and, and doubt, even after all of that. Uh, there's still a purgation. And I just think that is something I'm going to be thinking about a lot now about, um, you know, uh, the foretaste, you know, the the Old Testament foretaste of of this uh, re- Christ redemption, you know. So, uh, well, thank you so much. Sense, right. I mean, you, you know, come, I mean, go before the Lord of the Blessed Sacrament. Kind of, it can also think of it as like a you know, dress, dress rehearsal for judgment, right? If you have a weekly holy hour, right, week after week, you know, you're, you're going before the the Lord, the Blessed Sacrament, and you know you can hide all you want, but he's you know he's he's there before you. You're 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 there before him, right? I look at him, and he, you know, and he he looks at me, um, and, and so it's uh, and it's a reminder to us that at some point, right? I mean, you know, we'll we'll, we'll go before the Lord, and um, and we have nowhere to hide. Not that we that not that we could hide to, to begin with, but it, it could also help to. You know, to see judgment anew, right? Judgment really is just kind of being presented as we really are before the Lord. Not only is He exposed to us, but we're we're very much exposed to Him. Uh-huh. So, I mean, in that regard, right? I mean, Eucharistic adoration would be a great, great blessing. Absolutely. Well, this is such a delightful conversation. Thank you so much. And if you want to uh, read the article, uh, you can go to adoramus.org. But uh, thank you for your time. Really appreciate it. No, thanks for having me, Jess. God bless. All right, God bless.